Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. Our guest today is Lori Grover, OD, PhD. Dr. Grover is a member of the Board of Trustees of the American Optometric Association. She's a visiting scientist at Southern College of Optometry, and I consider her one of the health policy wonks um, of the uh, optometry world. So, Dr. Grover, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Great. We're going to talk a little bit about health research and uh, particularly today focus on some of these low-value health services um, and, and how we can eliminate them and why we should. I would love to talk about that. I think that there is a huge opportunity for our profession to really understand where the incredible value of comprehensive eye care and eye examination fits into the national picture um, of trying to reduce low-value care. Um, That's been a big topic for a long time, starting back in 2013. Um, The Institute of Medicine really uh, got it going by their research showing that we have an estimated, I think it was $765 billion in wasted healthcare expenses, um, specifically tied to low-value care. And for people who aren't real clear on what that means, um, low-value care really talks about a given healthcare service, a treatment, a test, or other um, provision that provides what they have defined as a low level of either clinical benefit, can be associated with medical errors, and um, may have pricing failures that are associated with care. So there's the health economics piece, there's the clinical care delivery piece, and there's the evidence-based piece, which I kind of ties into all the things that I love to to look at and have studied through my work in health services research and health policy. So one more, uh, one more recent statistic that I pulled out was that um, in a recent health affairs report, they found that more than $500 million was spent just in the year 2014 on 44 low value healthcare services in only one U.S. state. So it's a big deal. And there's a huge push nationally to try and reduce um, the waste involved with low-value care. And one of the huge initiatives that looks at that is called Choosing Wisely. So people may have heard of that campaign. So, Dr. Grover, let's make sure that we're talking about the same thing. Low-value health care is not necessarily low-cost services. This is not a conversation about where ODs practice. Absolutely. Spot on. And I think that's uh, a misperception a lot of people can have is that value is always equated to dollars. And uh, that's a great point that you bring up. So we're talking at poor outcomes across the board, including economic outcomes. So pricing failures as defined by IOM. Um, low level of clinical benefits, so reduced clinical outcomes, reduced patient benefit, um, increases for medical errors like readmits or um, ED, ED visits, emergency department visits, 
or um, you know death, morbidity, mortality, some of the some of the more uh, large scale errors that um, inpatient um, settings look at. So to your point, that's that's really important that value can be assessed in different ways, and low value has a lot of different connotations. One of the things that the Choosing Wisely campaign does is they acknowledge what some of the limitations are on trying to even determine at the highest level what low-value care is. And um, they acknowledge the, the, the Choosing Wisely campaign is a group, that, a, a campaign that's been um, championed by a very large coalition of different healthcare entities, professional groups, and otherwise. And they acknowledge that um, there's not a, there's not consistent uh, consensus among all professionals and stakeholders. Right now, in the choosing wisely campaign, who who is doing the choosing? Is that the consumer, the practitioner? It's really focused on the healthcare providers. So the healthcare professionals are really the ones that are involved in this. It's a campaign to help increase healthcare professional awareness about how to choose what would be high value care and how to eliminate what would be low value care. Um, So there are lists that have been developed by a lot of the of the stakeholders involved in the choosing wisely campaign so so if anybody wants to go online and they want to google um choosing wisely they'll see what are called clinician lists and these lists are developed by different groups of colleagues in healthcare so there are um, lists by the American Academy of Family Physicians. There are lists by the American College of Physicians. Um, the American Academy of Ophthalmology has a list. Um, the The optometry community is not represented in this group. It kind of points to maybe there not being a seat at the table uh, for optometry, as we've noticed in the past in a lot of different initiatives. So I. I think it's important to increase the awareness of these types of national um, objectives so that we as optometrists can make sure that we do have a voice and we do have a seat at the table. So I'm going to guess in terms of optometry, high value care would be preventive. And what might be an example of low value optometry services? That's a great question. So the, I can, I'll share with you what the five recommendations were in eye care, which really do tie in very nicely with us being preventive and primary uh, eye care providers. But the five recommendations that came out of the Academy of Ophthalmology include um, not conducting preoperative tests for eye surgery without indication, not ordering routine imaging without specific signs of eye disease, Um, certainly not prescribing antibiotics for adenoviral conjunctivitis or what is commonly known as viral pink eye, Um, not prescribing antibiotics either pre or post intravitreal injection, and not prescribing punctal plugs for mild dry eye as first-line treatment. And and I think, though, that's a great place to start because um, our our colleagues in ophthalmology feel that these are the top five recommendations highlighting the lowest value care that could be provided that either has 
negative connotations in pricing or in clinical outcomes or in some of the other uh, contexts that we talked about with de- with defining low-value care. So what does that mean for an optometry practice? Even if optometry is not, you know, actually seated at the, the table here, there's there must be implications. Well, the first thing that it does is it helps identify what you don't want to do in your practice and what is not going to be valuable or advantageous for patient care. So there's this whole concept in healthcare called de-implementation. And this is a really big part of reducing low-value care. It's stopping practices that are not evidence-based or stopping practices that we know are ineffective. And there's a whole field of science called dissemination and implementation science, kind of DNI for short. This is um, something born out of health services research. Um, and I think it's really a fascinating area outside of traditional clinical practice that's nice to know is, is happening and, and to avail yourself of. Because this field, um, this field of DNI, really has developed over the last decade, and there's a lot of evolving research that will help us as clinicians and as clinical researchers um, recognize what's unproven, what's ineffective, and what's harmful. And um, that I think is what's incredibly relevant to us um, as as physicians as uh, having physician parity with CMS, as being physicians in the healthcare process in the overall healthcare arena, I think it's really important for optometry to recognize what our responsibilities are as physicians and embrace what other physicians in healthcare um, are, are aware of, are responsible for, and how it impacts things like reporting um, reporting quality measures, reporting things to MIPS, um, you know, being able to take advantage of uh, Medicare dollars because you're in line with the rest of healthcare. So that's a real pie in the sky answer, but I think it's directly relevant to day to day practice and how we move forward in not only educating our patients, but understanding what information we utilize to provide care. So obviously, Dr. Grover, there is low value care in optometry. What's the biggest example? I think the biggest example, and this is a very important one, is making the case for vision screening being a low value approach relative to the nation's eye and vision care. I would, and I've argued that, and I will continue to argue that until we have uh, better evidence there's a lot of uh, a lot of rationale as to why we can we can make that statement. There is a lack of U.S. Preventive Services Task Force or USPSTF. You know we love acronyms. Um, recommendations for population-based vision screening. So in 2017, USPSTF concluded there's insufficient evidence for vision screening in children three years and younger, and there's insufficient evidence in older adults. The only recommendation that we currently have on a national basis for screening is very narrowly targeting children three to five years of age for the sole visual condition of amblyopia. And while it remains important to diagnose and treat amblyopia, this age group represents a small percentage of the total U.S. population. 
um, it's really important as well when these types of screening recommendations are made. And these encompass everything from um, mammography to colonoscopy to all of the general health screening recommendations we have across the country. That screening in children three to five years old did not compare um, to the benefits of eye examination. So there was no comparative effectiveness looked at between a vision screening uh, model and an eye examination model. There are other reasons why um, vision screening is limited in its value. There are um, There's a lack of evidence in areas of standardization in targeting and reliability and specificity and sensitivity, um, showing that it would or wouldn't work. We know that there's a lack of evidence to show that it would be effective. A really big reason is that there's no universally accepted definition of what vision screening is amongst clinicians, researchers, healthcare professionals, states, school districts, service organizations, and even among entities whose primary focus is to screen or advocate for screening. And this persistent lack of clarity really has been demonstrated by the gaps we have in the lack of evidence to support its value or benefit versus its risks. And we know what the risks are, that we don't identify who in the population has all of the different um, disorders or um, conditions that can be present. And then I think one of the biggest reasons, and this is something that it really involves our educational process and getting our future doctors engaged in this concept has to do with conflating eye examination with ill-defined vision screening. So in general, in general health care, doctors and training are taught processes of direct patient care. So in the world of optometry, our future doctors are taught how to examine eyes and the visual system. And the settings are commonly referred to as screenings. And this educational approach allows the student who's under the supervision of a doctor to really practice their development of clinical processes of eye care. So they're learning how to do an eye examination. But Unfortunately, there's this persistent use of terminology that frames eye examination as screening, and it misrepresents the care sequences that are being provided, and it diminishes the value of the eye care that's provided and how it's ultimately perceived. And I think that's something we can take upon ourselves to fix, is avoiding the use of the term screening when we're really talking about examination. I think that's, a, that, that's something we can certainly do, and we could start doing that yesterday. So what would you what would you call that? I mean, if it, it, where where would that terminology change be reflected? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the entities that the schools and colleges partner with, the community groups that we provide collaborative services through and with, and in addition to. So changing this term vision screening to eye care or eye examination would would really elevate the role that the that the future doctors of optometry and optometry as a profession are providing and it really would advocate for the value of eye examination versus an unsubstantiated piecemeal approach um, from an evidence perspective and also um, from a screening perspective um, what we're actually trying to identify in the population, especially in the in the kids' population. So, for example, um, we have 
data from the vision and preschooler study, which was a longitudinal study that was done um, trying to identify um, what would be a quote unquote effective way of screening and identifying all of the things that we know are vision problems, significant vision problems in children. And the VIP papers report that even though we have these eye doctor administered vision screening techniques by people who were trained and standardized to provide these techniques that they vary widely in their performance. So the specificity varies. The best tests in one paper they stated detects only two-thirds of children having greater or equal to one of the conditions that they were targeting. And so when you look at it from a population health perspective, we have to answer these questions about what undiagnosed eye and systemic conditions are more important than others. So if you're doing a screening, are you taking it upon yourself and a screening meaning an isolated technique, whether it's visual acuity or whether it's an auto refraction or whatever your techniques might be, what conditions are you prioritizing over others? Who determines what this hierarchy is? Which populations is this appropriate to? What are acceptable risks? What are we willing to say? That's okay. We'll let that slide because we're really going to target on this. And then what other, in my opinion, and from a population health perspective, what opportunities are we willing to sacrifice when we're screening for vision, when we know that providing a comprehensive eye examination provides the best health outcomes because it identifies a healthy and rules in and out a healthy visual system, whereas a screening will not be able to do that. So what's the impact on, you know, uh, the, the wellness expo where a, a practice sets up a booth and, you know, has a sign out that talks about glaucoma and, and eye health? I mean, is, is, is there a public awareness benefit to these screenings? I think that's been the tough call for a long time is that there's been a couple of factors involved. One is there is such a low awareness and for lack of a better word, embedment <laughs> or lack of lack of embedding of eye awareness of eye and vision care and the importance of comprehensive eye care to overall health that any PR, it was good PR, if you will, and I also think that there's an attitude that has been pervasive historically that something is better than nothing. And we know better than that now. We know most recently from the NASM report, the 2016 NASM report, Making Eye Health a Population Health Imperative, we know from that report that eye examination has been identified as a gold standard in clinical vision care to most accurately identify and diagnose eye and vision problems. It also highlights the evidence, the lack, actually, the lack of evidence we just talked about for screening. And it specifically called the Nash, on the nation to develop um, efforts that can improve research and development of effective future screening protocols because they don't exist right now. So in a nutshell, what's a doctor to do? Somebody who is approached saying, here's an opportunity to put yourself out in front of the community. We're, you know, doing all kinds of, we got all kinds of medical providers out there and we want you out there too. Are you doing more harm than good? How do you, how do you advance your position in the community and 
advance the uh, good of the profession? I think the vast majority of all of us in optometry would always advocate and and continue to advocate and share information about the value of eye examination. Um, so it can be, this is where words matter. And I think one of the easiest, simplest ways of making sure that we reinforce this high value of what we do and what our role is in the healthcare arena is to simply not equate what we do as a screen. Even language in the pediatric guidelines talks about vision screening. And so even in a clinical care perspective, we have some education to do to get our colleagues to understand that a comprehensive eye exam is not a screen and that it's it's like doing a physical examination. I think there's a real parallel in family medicine where we're looking at primary care and preventive care the same way as we do primary eye care and primary preventive eye care, that you need a battery of tests and assessments and a process of everything from history and data gathering to clinical decision-making to care plan development to really understand the health of a human being, uh, regardless of age. That's a lot different than saying, I can draw blood and check you for hypercholesteremia. And I think there's, we need, we need to help get that message across. So the, the information to support that is out there. It's just a matter of helping people make the choice to do that and help increase their awareness of where to get these resources. That's a huge role of, of advocacy across the board. And I think it's a really important role that um, I'm really pleased to say that the AOA um, takes very seriously. Dr. Grover, thank you so much for your time and your insights and uh, the you know, sort of laying out the path of where the profession needs to go. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to talk about these fun things with you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.